I don't know why, but I know this. 
this, I know that I have experienced the love of God. That He loved me. And according to Romans 8, I know that I can never be saved from God's love. I mean, how great is that? It's unspeakable. It's, it's unending. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And God's love is eternal. It's unselfish. It asks nothing in return. I think this is huge because the, the kindness of God, it leads us to repentance. His kindness leads us to turn back toward Him in love. And we love Him because He first See, we need to understand this. It's unmerited. We cannot earn it. We don't, we don't deserve it. And it's all based within His grace. And it certainly is unconditional. It's not based on what we can or cannot produce. His love isn't based on that. It comes from the very heart of God because we can never, ever reach a place where God will not love us. Think about that. Let that sink in. He loves us. He loved us first. He, he loves us anyway. And He loves us eternally. Man. You know, if that, if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what we Because He loves us with an everlasting love. You see, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have experienced this unconditional love from Him. And then through the forgiveness of our sins and by the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus, now we live with a biblical worldview that includes unconditional love. It's an unconditional love that we didn't have before. But now we do have it. See, this unconditional love is dependent on the quality and the character of the love giver. It's because of His character. It's because of the quality of who God is. That this love is unconditional. I think it's spectacular because it doesn't matter who is being loved by God. It's not dependent on someone's character. It's not dependent on their attitude. It's not dependent on their personality. It's not dependent on the one being loved. It's dependent upon the character and the quality of who God is. That's unconditional love. See, this is so amazing. We witnessed this morning. Three people who've given their heart to Jesus, who professed Him as their Savior and Lord, and they were baptized. They followed the Lord Jesus in baptism because of the new birth that has happened in their life. They were spiritually born again. That was a picture of what happened in their heart. They died to self, they were buried with Christ, and they were raised to walk in a new life. Scripture says that we are a new creation. But it's because of this new birth that, that it creates this connection with God. It creates this connection with God and His love. And that's what allows us to love each other. It's not your love. It's His love. Through you. This is big stuff. So if anyone ever asks, how does the fact that God loved you, how does that result in you loving others? The answer is the new birth. Being born again makes that connection. The fact that I can love my brother and sister in Christ is because I've been born again. 
See, the world does not know that kind of love. Nor will they until their eyes are open. And God draws them, and they come to a point, and they are born spiritually. You see, the new birth creates that connection. It's the act of the Holy Spirit connecting with our dead, selfish hearts. And God's Spirit, His loving heart, His living, loving heart, connects with our dead, selfish heart. And His love becomes our love. His love becomes our life. It's clearly seen in 1 John 4. I'm going to read just a few verses there. 1 John 4, if you have your scripture, I want to open up to it. 1 John 4, we're going to read 7 through 12. Now, years ago, there was a song that said, What the world needs now is love. But it wasn't the hippie kind of love that we think about that song. What the world needs now is God's love. If we want to see our homes restored and our families reunited and our nation undivided, then it's going to be because of God's love uniting us. 1 John 4, verse 7 and following says this. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another... God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. Father, I ask even now that the truth of your word would soak deeply into our minds and into our hearts. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would search us, that you would, Father, convict us of areas where we've not been loving. Father, areas where we've not been loving well. Father, areas where we need to get right with you. Father, I pray for a great revival. I pray, Father, for a great awakening across this land. Father, I pray for the souls of men and women and sons and daughters that you would draw us to yourself. Father, that in doing that, you would bring reconciliation in the church. Father, in our homes, in our land. And Father, that you would do that for your glory. Father, I pray that you would do that now. Father, even in this place, even in our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, John here, the apostle, he shows the link in two ways here. First, he, he shows us that, that God's nature is love. That God's nature is love. So that when we are born again by Him, we share that nature. 
When we become a believer in Jesus Christ, when we've been born again, we share His nature. Secondly, He shows us that the, the, the demonstration, if you will, of that in history, of His love, in history, is the sending of His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die for your sins. He's proving His love in that. He's, it's evidence, it's a, a manifestation, it's a demonstration of His love. And so I want to take these just one at a time and then just notice how they're connected to the new birth. Because it is a big deal when someone is born again. It is a big deal when someone gives their heart and their life to Jesus Christ and becomes a new creation. See, I, I love this because I, I recognize that, that God's nature is love. Notice in verse 7. John writes this, he said, Let us love one another, for love is from God. Love is from God. <laughs> it comes from Him. Love is from God. And in verse 8 says, God is love. So let, let's put both of those together, okay? Love is from God, but God is love. And, and these aren't at odds. So when, when John says that love is from God, he doesn't mean it's from him like a letter from your mail carrier. He's not even saying that love from God is not like a letter from your friend. What he's saying here is he means that love is from God the way heat is from fire. The way that light is from the sun. Because love belongs to God and begins with God. God is love and that love is from him. It comes from him, but he's saying it's woven into what and who he is. It's part of what it means to be God. Love is from God because God is love. See, the sun gives light because it is light. And the fire gives heat because it is heat. And God loves because he is love. When he says love is from God, that's what he's talking about. And the point is, in the new birth, this aspect of God's nature becomes a part of who we are. This is... We think we just kind of add his love to whatever we got. I'll tell you right now, you got nothing. You got nothing. If you don't have God's love, you got that. The new birth is the beginning of God's life within you, and it is an essential part of that life to love. And God's nature is love, and in the new birth, that nature becomes part of who we are, who you are, who I am, as we begin to love. Look at verse 12. He says here in verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. You see, when you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes and abides within you. We call Him the indwelling Holy Spirit. He comes and makes His home within you. He dwells in you, and He broadcasts God's love within your heart. Your whole heart then is full of light, and his aim is that this love would be matured in you, be perfected, be complete. See, we've got a stunted growth 
love. It's not becoming perfected because the Holy Spirit is not being allowed to work in our hearts. We quench the Holy Spirit. His aim is that this love would be matured in you. Notice the phrase, His love, in verse 12. The love that you have as a born-again person is not merely imitating God's love. We think that, you know, oh, well, uh, this is the way God loves, so this is the way I love, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, imitating God's love. And what I'm saying is you experience God's love, and you become an extension of that love to others. It's not within you to give that kind of love. The only reason you can give that kind of love is because God's love abides in you. See, his love is revealed in seeing his son. I mean, the first way that John links God's love for us and our love for other people is focusing on his nature as being love and how the new birth connects us with that love. But next, consider verses 9, 10, and 11. He says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through. In this love, not that we love God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We love it if God so loved us. We also ought to love one another. And John is saying the great demonstration, the great evidence of God's love is that God sins. Notice he says that twice. In verse 9 and verse 10. God sent His Son. It's important he repeats it. See, the purpose of God sending His Son, Jesus, was to be the propitiation for our sins. That's what makes the, the sending to be love. And you say, well, what is propitiation? That's a big word. Propitiation means that Jesus came to take our punishment. He came to take our punishment for our sin. And becomes the one who removes the wrath of God. Promise. I mean, think about that. Praise God. I'm not going to get what I deserve. He's the one who took care of that. He's the one that paid the, the sin debt. He's the one that paid the price so that I don't have to pay that price. Because on that day, someone is going to pay the price for your sin. It will either be you or it will be Jesus. But someone will pay. But the beautiful thing is Jesus is already paid. It's paid in full. And that is what gives us the, 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 the peace that we have. That's what gives us the joy that we have. That's what gives us the love that we have because we know we're not going to get it. I mean, this means that God's love it was God's love that sent His Son to endure the fair and just penalty. And to take away God's impartial wrath. To satisfy that. And the way that the Son does that is mentioned in, if, you, if you go back to 1 John 3, verse 16, it says, We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 
So Jesus became this propitiation, this appeasement, this conciliation, this atonement for us by laying his life down for us, dying for us. And John, he tells us this is a demonstration of God's nature. He says this is just the way God is. This is just the way God is. What he demands, he satisfies. Man, I love this. And it's not that, it's not that we love God. I mean, that's what he's saying here, verse 10. He's guarding against the denial. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. We need to hear this. We need to understand this because John is emphasizing that the nature and the origin of love does not begin with our response to him. That's not where love starts. That's not where love starts. That's mainly not what love is. Love is and starts with God. Love is and starts with God and if anything we feel, or anything that we do can be called love, it is because we are connected with Almighty God through the new birth. The world can call it whatever it wants. Don't be upset when lost people act like lost people. They've never experienced the love of God. But once we experience the new birth, then we understand where our love comes from. And that frees us. To love other people. Regardless of what they look like, regardless of what color they are, regardless of, of, of where they come from or how much money they have or anything. You see, we are free to love because God has loved us unconditionally and we share now in His nature. You've seen this, we've seen a couple of things here. About God's love. John shows us God's nature is love. And when we're born again, we share that nature. And secondly, he says it's a demonstration of that love in history is the sending of his son Jesus that we might have eternal life for him. But notice John goes on to say, he goes on to say, we ought to love one another. We ought to love one another. When John writes, that how are we going to understand this word ought? I mean, if you forget everything in the preceding five verses, you might be able to say, well, the point that John is making is that Jesus coming in the flesh, the incarnation is, is imitation. We're, we're to be like Jesus. We're to, we're to act like Jesus acted. We're to, we're to do the things that Jesus did. God loved us. Look at how he did it, and we do it too. We're obliged to. In other words, we have an obligation. That's the way we look at it most of the time. But I'm saying something different here this morning. John has not forgotten what he wrote in verses 7. He says, we ought to love each other. He means ought the way a fish ought to swim in the water. He's talking about Birds ought to fly through the air. That living creatures ought to breathe. Oh yeah. That peaches 
ought to be sweet, and lemons ought to be sour, and hyenas ought to laugh. Those who are born again ought to love. It's who we are. We're not just imitating Christ. It's who we are. It's who we have become. For the children of God, imitation becomes realization. That we now understand our responsibility. And it's something that just comes from us because now we have a new nature. The old nature is gone. And all things become new. We now have God's nature living within us. See, we're realizing who we are. God sees in us, His Spirit is in us, His nature is in us, God's love is being perfected in us, it's coming to maturity. Oh, we get so upset about the littlest things. We throw down, we want to walk away, we want to you know, throw the towel and we want to be done with God's people. It's not that way. We ought to love just like the fish ought to swim. You know, when you see a fish that isn't swimming in water, it probably means that fish is dead. Mm-hmm. We are loving, it probably means See, if we are born again, we have to love each other. I, want to, I just want to spend the rest of this time this morning just kind of applying this in here at Life of the you know, if we are transformed people, if we are transformed, if we are regenerated people, then we are loving And if we are born again, the love of God is within us. And I want to just give you a couple of things here of what that might look like, what that will look like. And John mentioned specifically uh, some ways the love of God will, will remain and become real in our lives, and I'll mention two of them. And in the way that we are transforming our lives together at Memorial, I hope that we're doing this more and more and more. The first one is that we humbly rejoice in the goodness of others. When others are doing well, when others are doing good, we ought to be rejoicing in that. I mean, if you go back to uh, 1 John 3, verse 11, This is what John writes. He says, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Now this this may seem totally unneeded to you. But what John is saying here is don't don't be like Cain. Don't be like Cain who murdered his brother. Now, am I really worried or concerned that there's going to be some murders here at, at Memorial? Not at all. That's not my point. That's not John's point. I don't think he did that either. He doesn't focus on the murder. He says, and for what reason did he slay him? That's John's concern. Why did he kill his There's something about Cain's motives that John thinks will be relevant to the way the church loves each other and the way that people love 
love each other. He answered this at the end of verse 12, because his deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. See, what John is saying here is not merely that love doesn't kill a brother, but that love isn't resentful when a brother or sister is superior in some spiritual and moral way. Cain didn't kill Abel simply because Cain was evil. He killed Abel because the contrast between Abel's goodness and his evil made him angry and resentful. He didn't feel like he measured up. He was somehow less. It was the righteousness of Abel that caused him to kill him because of his own heart, his own resentment, his own bitterness. It made him feel guilty. And Abel didn't have to say anything. His goodness was a constant reminder to Cain that Cain was evil. And instead of dealing with his own evil and, and, and going into repentance and change, rather he got rid of Abel. If you don't like what you see in the mirror, shoot the mirror. But folks will leave all the time. We see the goodness that we desire in someone else, and the first thing we want to do is start pulling them down. Start pointing out their faults. I mean, what would it be like for us to be like Cain? It would mean that anytime some weakness or some bad habit in our lives is exposed by contrast to someone else's goodness, instead of dealing with the weakness or the bad habit, we keep away from those whose lives have made us feel defective. Oh, we don't kill them. We avoid them. Or worse, we find ways to criticize and neutralize the part of their lives that makes us feel good. And the best way to nullify someone's good point is to draw attention to their bad. And in doing so, we think we're protecting ourselves from whatever good they might be for us. But John's point is this. Love doesn't act like that. Love is glad when our brothers and our sisters are making progress in good habits and good, good attitudes, good behavior. Love rejoices in this growth. And it happens to be, if it happens to be faster than our own growth, then love is humble and rejoices with those who rejoice. So the lesson for us is this everywhere you see some growth in someone's life, some virtue some spiritual discipline, some good habits, some good attitude. Rejoice in it. Encourage it. Give thanks for it. Compliment it. Don't resent it. Don't be like Cain. Be inspired by your brother or sister's goodness. Let it lift you up. The second specific way that John said the love of God becomes real in our lives is found in the verses that follow that and meeting the needs of others, even at great expense. Now, real quickly, he says three things about love here. In these verses, he says, We know love by this. I'm in chapter 3, verse 16 of Paul. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the good. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. 
first thing he says here is that love does practical things. Love does practical things for people. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. He doesn't mean that talk is not important. It's not an important way of loving people because it can't be. But the tongue is full of potential for either love or hate. What he means is that there were deeds of practical help are called for. Don't just settle for talk. Do practical things for each other. How is our love shown to others? If I fold the laundry, my wife knows I love her. If I take out the trash, my wife knows I love her. If I do the dishes, my wife knows I love her. You see, the things that we do for each other. You now I'm thinking about this. It's like my brother this week. We did some cold air in his car. Because it's hot. We got done charging his AC, and he said, How much did I do? What do I owe you for this? And I said, Nothing. I said, I want to do this for my brother because I love my brother. We do things for each other, practical things because we love each other. Paul also tells us something about how seriously we should take this. He said, The second thing he says, We do this even if it's very costly. You know, we will do just about anything for somebody as long as it doesn't cost us much. What John is saying is we do it even when it's costly. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. See, Christ loved us by laying down his life for us. And we were born again. This love becomes our life. Love wants others to prosper. Even if it costs us our life, it's okay because Jesus will take care of us. Third, he says that this will mean we make very practical sacrifices for people that we need. The way John has in mind for us to lay our life and for others, as followers of Jesus Christ, is to share what we have. Share what we have. Physically, in our possessions. What about spiritually sharing what you have? What about sharing the gospel with others? What about sharing the joy with others? What about breaking bread and passing it on? You see, love doesn't think possessively. Love knows that everything belongs to him. And now his love governs the possessions of our hands. So bringing this in for a landing, I say this. Let's be a very practical people who love in our deeds, not just in other words, let's be doers of the word and not hearers of the Then let us be a sacrificial people who deny ourselves for the sake of others and lay our lives out the way Christ laid down his life for us. And lastly, I'm saying this let's also be lavishly generous with everything we have, knowing that it all belongs to God. We're his children. He has a scripture. And he needs Let's pray again. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. 
Father, I ask that earnestly that the new birth, birth will be confirmed in us. And Father, that as it creates a connection with you and your love, Father, that it would be an extension of your love in us that we love others. Father, I thank you for loving us first. Because, Father, apart from you, we can do nothing. We need you desperately. Father, I pray that today that you would show to us how we have not been loving. Father, how we have not been loving well. And Father, the reality is, is we don't serve well because we don't love. Father, I pray that your love would be perfected in us. That as we love others, Father, that, that we would our love would be brought to maturity in you. Father, that we would be peacemakers. Father, that we would be bridge builders in a nation that is so divided. Father, that we would love our brothers and sisters with an unconditional love. Father, that we would share what we have. God, that we would want the same kind of love that you give us. Father, convict our hearts. Father, take us. Remove the idols that we put above Jesus. Father, help us. Just let Jesus be our Lord and our master. Father, may you be keeper of love. Thank you, Father, for this time. I pray that you bless us upon you. Guide us as we continue to see you. In Jesus' name. Thank mm-hmm. you.